All right, home buyers out there, this is going to be what I like to call an evergreen episode, one that'll last a long time, and I'm pretty sure we are going to come back to this time and time and time again. So if this is your first time listening to this episode, if it's brand new, if it's been around for a year, if it's been around for two years, you're going to get a ton of value out of this. Uh, this is the culmination of uh, collectively thousands and thousands and thousands of mortgage applications as well as approvals and just going through the experience as an advisor working on the file from the partners and I. We're talking today primarily to uh, first-time buyers and those who work with first-time buyers around a lot of the myths and confusion. I'll say though, after listening to this episode again, there's a lot of people who are not first-time buyers that'll see a lot of value. Maybe haven't bought in five, seven, ten years. And we thought this episode was going to be really, was really, really important to do because after looking around a lot of the episodes out there that are real estate related and, and sometimes ours for sure are very investment focused which is important um, and something we'll continue to key in on however there's not a lot of people talking to those who are just trying to get into the market whether it's as an investment which we do talk about in this episode or whether it's about just you know how to actually go through the process Pretty much anybody and everybody is going to find value out of this episode, I think. So these are the things that you don't want to do. These are the myths. This is the confusing parts. And we're going to set the record straight in so many different places. So uh, again, as always, guys, the show is presented by the partners and I at Thrive Mortgage Co. This is our blood, sweat, and tears on our own time in the evenings and the mornings whenever we can fit it in. And we hope you're finding value. And if you are, make sure to leave us a review. Now, Spotify, we just found out you can also leave reviews. So if you're loving the show, give us that five star on Spotify. We'd really appreciate it. Um, and uh, of course, if you're up to leaving us a, a written review on, on iTunes, we'd love that and uh, appreciate all the feedback. Now, of course, if you are looking to uh, work with us as your mortgage advisors, which we'd love to help you, uh, make sure to find us online at thrivemortgage.ca. You can also follow us on Instagram at Thrive Mortgage Co. or at Remo Show. That's enough for me about us. Let's talk about you and everything you need to know. I hope you guys enjoyed the episode. We look forward to uh, talking more in the future. What's up, guys? You are listening to the YBR Remo Show, where we talk all things Vancouver real estate and mortgages, take boring topics, and make them interesting. Make sure to stay tuned to listen to everything you need to know how to put cash back in your pocket, create wealth in real estate, and simplify the complicated. First-time buyers, first-time buyers, first-time buyers. We talk a lot about investors in this market, but one thing we don't talk a lot about in our podcast is uh, people getting to the market for the first time. And the reason we wanted to do this episode is because, you know, whether it's spring, summer, winter, we get a lot of interest from people realistically just trying to figure out how to buy their first property. Sometimes from an investment standpoint, sometimes from a personnel standpoint, there's so many different reasons that people are doing it. And so with all of the confusion and miscommunication around first time buyer programs and what you can do, we wanted to set the record straight in this episode to talk a lot about the most common myths and confusing points that people hear when it comes to buying your first piece of real estate. Whether you are buying your first piece of real estate or maybe your second or third, there's gonna be value in this conversation if you're listening in today because a lot of these quote unquote myths are things that second time buyers and third time buyers bring to our attention as well. In fact, a lot of real estate agents that are in the marketplace hear about a lot of these myths and still might have questions around that. And I'll be really honest, it's a lot of it becomes is because of digital noise. And what I mean by that is whether it's social media like Facebook or Instagram or whether it's friends or family, there's just a lot of misinformation out there. Forget all that noise. Start paying attention to this. Listen to us because we're going to set the record straight.
Let's get into it today, boys. Yeah, there's a lot to know as a first-time buyer. I mean, it's uh, it's a different language getting into this, and you need to make sure you're working with a good team that can explain everything to you in detail and make sure you're making the right choices. And I mean, planning ahead is, is massive, right? Like, you don't call your broker and your realtor when you think you're ready to buy a house. Like, you call them a year before so they can help you plan and, and have an understanding of the programs that are available and down payment requirements. And again, like, we're going to touch through a lot of these myths that people come to us and they have absolutely no idea. They think they can buy with no money down. And yeah, there's just too many myths out there. So we're going we're gonna to break a lot of those down for you guys today. Yeah, and it, I think just the main thing is that we'll touch on is preparation, and and it's never too early. I definitely want to stress that it, it's amazing how many times you know people think that you know what I'll, I'll I'll be purchasing a home in a year, so I'll talk to you in a year. You know, meaning us as a broker or, or your financial institution, and uh, I'm I'm just looking forward to getting into some of those items uh, to you know that could really derail that that timeline. Absolutely. Um, you know, again, back to the point of first time or second time or third time buyer, you know, another thought that, you know, comes to mind is we've seen real estate just kind of take off in the last couple of years. We've seen trends such that people are either A, they want to get into the market as quick as they can and ride this this uh, train or B, they're just basically backing out and saying I'm either A, you know, I'm going to hold off or, or someone told me I should wait till the market crashes. So we'll talk a little bit about that here too today, you know, timing and, and what that could look like and, and just kind of market trends and so forth too. Because I think that's obviously a valuable conversation to have when it comes to myths around real estate and where that goes. So, I mean, let's just start off with the easy stuff and the simple stuff uh, right away. The most common confusing points and myths that people talk about. The first one is around the down payment requirements of buying a property. So we'll break down what the myth is, but we'll talk a little bit about what the truth is as well. Derek, take away, let's talk about 5% down. A ton of people come to us, and this is actually mostly people on their second home, like they've already owned a home at one point. And so many people think that they have to buy with 20% down. Everybody thinks that only first-time buyers can buy with 5% down, and that is absolutely not the case. Anybody, this could be your 10th property, as long as you're gonna occupy it, you can buy with as little as 5% down if it's under 500,000. And then of course, when you get over 500,000, you have to put 10% down on the portion above. So anybody out there, again, this could you could have owned 17 houses in your timeline. Uh, if you're buying another house and you're gonna occupy it, you can absolutely do 5% down if you qualify. Um, and leading into the next one, which is it, it gets into rental properties. Um, a lot of first time buyers think that they cannot buy an investment property. A lot of people think that that your first home you have to live in. And unfortunately we live in a market, well, there's good and bad, but we live in a market where some people have quite literally been priced out locally and they can't qualify or afford to buy something in the greater Vancouver or Fraser, Fraser Valley area. Uh, and does that mean you should not buy real estate? Definitely not. We've had a ton of clients that we've coached and helped and we've helped them buy investment properties out of town. So they're at least in the market and, and they're seeing the, uh, the real advantages of real estate. I just want to touch on one item with down payment is 5% is only up to 500K. We have a lot of first time home buyers that do come in the door and expecting to put 5% down and 500,000 in the lower mainland doesn't get you much these days. And we're finding most people are having to spend more than that and, and being a little surprised that there's the, that additional down payment requirement. So just to touch on, on that, anything above 500,000, the balance is 10% up to a million. And uh, it's important to be prepared for that because that can really change your 
your landscape. Let's pick out a couple key points. You know, as Derek mentioned, first of all, you don't need to be a first-time buyer, as you mentioned, to purchase with less than 20% down. The second thing, you know, Dean, that you mentioned right away there is, you know, 5% for the first 500 and 10% for the amount above that. One of the most common confusions that I hear about that part, Dean, is is that it, after 500 grand, you just need to put 10% flat. Um, and there's also a lot of confusion around why you would have to put 20% down. Maybe talk a little bit to that when it comes to uh, qualification. It's not 10% flat. It's just 10% on the difference above. So, you know, if you're looking at a $600,000 purchase, you have just an the 10% is just on the 100,000, which is over and above 500. So 25,000 on the 500 and then 10,000 on the balance uh, being 10% of the 100. So that, that kind of clears up that side of things. And then uh, anything above a million is actually required to put 20% down. And that's a big shocker because believe it or not, single family homes are hard to find under a million dollars these days. And that's what it's going to take to get into a million dollar home. So, you know, your $999,000 purchase price is going to have, you know, let's say $75,000 down. Um, and then as soon as you go above a million, you're, you're looking at 200,000. So it's a big jump, really big jump. And I think just in general, that's another first time home buyer misconception. A lot of people think that that 20% rule might not apply to them because they're a first time buyer and because they think they can do less than 20%. But again, it doesn't matter who you are or how you're buying this place. 20% is minimum uh, on properties with a price tag of a million plus. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, some other common myths around the 5% that don't necessarily fall with uh, first time buyers have to do with, do you have to, can you only buy the one property? At 5% down, I got, obviously this isn't a first time buyer situation, but if you're wondering about buying a second home after that, you can buy a second home with less than 20% down. So you can use 5%. You just have to qualify under the insurance guidelines. So it could be for a family member, could be for you to move into. A lot of our clients take advantage of something we like to call house hacking. There's a variety of different ways to do it, but one of the ways to do that that's easiest is to move into the property, uh, live in it for uh, say a year, and then convert it into a rental and buy another home with uh, five or the minimum down payment requirement, which is, uh, which is key on that property. Now, another myth that uh, Derek touched on, and I want to touch on this a little bit more because we do uh, talk a lot about investment real estate in our podcast is around the uh, not being able to buy a rental as your first home. Just want to flesh that out a little bit more and talk to, you know, why that is a common theme, like why we hear that. And, you know, let's talk a little bit more to what you mentioned, Derek, about clients who buy real estate as an investment for their first goal and and when that makes sense as well. I don't know if you have any stories you want to share or, or some questions around what the, the common concerns people have around that. Yeah, I do actually. We pre-approved a client about a year ago. Super nice guy. Uh, he was qualified for about $400,000 locally. Him and his realtor worked their ass off to try to find something and he just came to terms with the fact that whatever he could get locally didn't make sense for him and his family. I mean, he had a big dog, stuff like this, and he it just wouldn't work for him to be in a one-bedroom condo. He wasn't in a relationship at the time, so he didn't have the extra income. He didn't have someone that was going to co-sign. Uh, and rather than him just throwing in the towel and not buying anything at all, uh, we actually kind of ran some numbers and, and we, he made a goal of saving up 20%. Uh, and he started looking and working with out-of-town real estate agents, uh, specifically Vernon. And uh, he watched that market and watched that market and he saved and saved and saved and he continued to rent locally. Uh, and as soon as he had his 20% down in closing costs, he pulled the trigger and he bought a detached home uh, in Vernon. This is again, you know, about probably eight months ago now. It, and it needed some work, but I think he paid about 450 for this place and it's bringing in good rent. Uh, you know, the fact that he 
made that decision and pulled that trigger, that property's gone up in value by like $150,000 in the last eight months, right? And he's done some renovations. He's got a good tenant in there. So, I mean, huge success story. Whereas, you know, a lot of people might not have those conversations and might not coach their clients that there are other options. And then this guy could be sitting here today with the same amount of money in the bank uh, and no real estate and, and he's just not getting ahead, right? So it's just an, another route to go if, if you find yourself in a position where buying locally doesn't make sense or doesn't work for you. And believe me, you're not on your own if you're in that situation. Like there's a lot of people that just simply can't buy where we live. It's a barrier of of entry to this type of a product is the 20%. And, and a lot of people come into them with, you know, a minimum down and, and it's tough to make that work. Even at the $450,000 mark, that is a big jump in down payment amount. We've had a, we've had clients actually buy second homes, even though they don't own a home. So they, you can, that's, that's a big one. And, and it plays in this space a little bit, but I've had a client buy a second home in Powell river rents in Langley, BC, and um, totally qualified to carry his rent and the the new home that he purchased as a vacation home in uh, Powell River. And now that individual is Airbnb the the property in Powell River while he's not there. And, and so that's another way to kind of get your foot into a bit of a, a you know, a rental space. It's not a full long term rental, but there's a way to kind of get into the market and with minimum down. Yeah. And I mean, that's a really good point. Like talking about first time buyers, you know, a lot of people that we talk to live in the city, say Vancouver or you know, just other communities and, you know, looking at it, they, they, one of the thoughts for, that we hear is to your point or myths or concerns is, Hey, you know, I don't want to buy here. I don't want to buy yet because I'm moving around a little bit. I'm not settling down. I'm not in this situation. And so what you mentioned, Dean is kind of a really key point. What about buying a property that could be considered say a second home for a family member uh, and go in some kind of a, a co-investment with them. And, and it, it's not so much a formal investment in the standpoint that we're buying a property as a, a rental property per se, you're buying a property with a, a, a brother or sister now a perfect example about that so again this is a common myth that we hear hey I have to buy my first home I have to live in the property but you know we've got examples where we talk about co-signers so first of all I guess myth number three would be uh, can you buy a first home with a co-signer and still qualify under uh, many of the programs that are available for first-time buyers which we'll touch on soon and the answer to that question is yes you can co-sign with someone on your first home and not actually move into it so I got a brother sister duo and uh, the sister is looking to move in with uh, her partner and the brother is going to come on from an income standpoint he's going to support uh, the qualification help move in now they're both technically first-time buyers he doesn't need to live in the property she can live in the property because she's on the application she can reside in it and they can have a co-ownership agreement and they can also obviously design the the agreement so that he he's a 50 percent owner in the property whether or not he's living there so technically it still is an investment for him but at the end of the day you still qualify under the guidelines of cmhc because uh one of the owners is occupying the property right so another important way to look at it is to get creative that's no different you no know, brother sister i've seen a lot more of that actually in the last year and a half it's no different than having like a parent co-sign on the property which like piggyback on that first myth what if you're a first-time buyer and your parents have bought and owned multiple pieces of real estate if they co-sign on the property can you qualify under any of the first-time buyer programs, such as the RRSP exemption, the property transfer tax exemption, which we'll touch on right after this. And the answer to that question is yes, you can. You can still qualify to use a percentage of that program for yourself. And in the case of the home buyers plan, like the RRSP program, you can use the full buck, the entire thing under your situation. So uh, boys, let's flush this out. Let's talk a little bit about some of the uh, first-time buyer programs 
and uh, make sure everybody's on the same page as far as what we're talking about here. Before we move off of these pieces, I just want to touch on one thing on the rental property. So if you're a first time home buyer buying an investment property, just some of the requirements there, you can't buy an investment property with 5% down, right? Like super common misconception. If you're buying an investment property, you have to have 20% down, but you can absolutely still do that as a first time buyer. Um, the property transfer tax exemption, which is another thing that we're going to get into, like you can't use these programs if you're not going to occupy the property. So that's another thing, like if you're buying a $400,000 home uh, as an investment property, you know, typically you wouldn't have to pay any property transfer tax if you're going to live there, you are going to get hit with that bill, right? So just keep in mind, these first time homebuyer programs and exemptions are not going to work for you if you're buying for the purpose of investment. And again, uh, that minimum down payment is 20% for first time buyer or not. Yeah, well said. Well, well said. Well, let's talk a little bit about the programs now, um, now that you covered that piece right there. Um, first time buyer programs that are most common, again, that are misunderstood. Uh, the first one that I'll talk about is part of the home buyers plan. So the federal government uh, home buyers plan, which is in relation to the uh, RRSP program. So the first thing is that everyone thinks that you can only be literally a first time ever buyer to use this program. What the program is, is it allows you to actually dip into your RRSPs. So typically if you take money of your RRSPs, you have to pay tax on it unless you're a certain age. In this situation, you could be 20 years old and you could have uh, money in your RSP and you could take money out tax-free so you don't get taxed on that up to $35,000 and uh, you only have to take 15 years or you, you, you require to pay it back over 15 years. So it's a long time to pay that back, which is a nice little incentive because a lot of companies pay into that. So common myths that I hear are that you have to be a first-time ever buyer to, to do that. That's not true. You could have not owned a home for over four calendar years. Check the website if you want to double check on the, the dates there, but over four calendar years. You could also be uh, recently divorced uh, or separated. That's another one. Or a person with a disability is another situation or supporting a person with a disability. Um, so technically you could use this program more than once depending on your, your circumstance. But if you are in fact a first time buyer, it's just important to note that this is one of the great ways to get money out of your uh, your down payment or savings, in this case, your RSP to use towards this. And you could be buying with another person who, let's say your parents and still access this program for down payment. Yeah. And just the thresholds on that, you can access up to 35,000. And if there's two of you, uh, you can combine that. So you're the, between the two of you, you're, you're, uh, grabbing up to 70,000. So that's the threshold there. You can't exceed, uh, that amount and you can't ex uh, put three people together. It's a two maximum. Yeah, really good points. And I actually had a client uh, conversation with the client this week, and they, they came into this conversation knowing it's super preliminary, thinking they're going to be able to buy in maybe two years because they're still saving. And as we went through the conversation, they have RSPs, and they had no idea that they could use them. So they're actually probably going to be in a, a position to purchase fairly soon. So that's just another thing that people are not aware of. You absolutely can use RSPs. Good points all above. Um, let's talk a little bit about then the other considerations here for uh, first time buyers. This one is uh, in British Columbia, so BC. Uh, in BC, we have uh, the property transfer tax exemption. And this one is in fact for first time buyers buying a home that they're occupying in British Columbia. There are some rules and restrictions around that. We'll touch on the most common ones. The first one is that is the, the threshold. So the first thing is that if you're buying a property, you have to be occupying it. It needs to be under $500,000 to get the full exemption, which is up to an $8,000 property transfer tax exemption at 500 grand. Once you go above 500, there is something called the sliding scale, which basically means for every percentage above the scale, they, they basically reduce the rebate. 
so for 525,000, you have to now pay the entire amount. At 500, there's a, a full exemption. So in between there, there's a percentage that you still have to pay. And again, for this one, you have to occupy the property. You have to file taxes the previous year in British Columbia. That's key or live there for 12 months. Uh, double check with your lawyer on your, your qualifications and whether you're not qualified. But we've seen those before where people tried to qualify for exemption and they didn't live in British Columbia for that period of time they need to. And then additionally speaking, need to be a Canadian for the most part or permanent resident to qualify for this. So it's gotta be owner occupied. You can't be like a foreign resident and take advantage of this program as well. It's a good chunk of change too, right? So if you're if you're kind of on the fringe of buying something at 550, if you can find something a little bit cheaper and, and save that, it's definitely beneficial. But I've also had a lot of clients that it makes sense to spend the extra money and spend the eight or $9,000 on transfer tax because you get a two bedroom. Right. And that two bedroom is going to appreciate more than the one bedroom and it's going to be a longer plan for you. So I wouldn't build your your case and your your desired home around saving uh, this money. But if you fall into that category and you can take advantage of it, it's it's awesome for sure. Um, and just on the transfer tax is another uh, very confusing piece for a lot of people. Brand new homes. So brand new pre-sales, you're buying directly from the developer. No one's lived there before. Um, if it's owner occupied and under 750, you do not pay transfer tax above 750. You will, um, that does, you do not need to be a first time buyer for that. Anybody, as long as it's owner occupied under 750, you do not pay transfer tax. So again, uh, another kind of misconception there that, you know, people buying their second home brand new, they, they figure they're going to be tagged with that bill. Just on transfer tax, it's important that we're, we're speaking about BC right now. Um, primarily some of these numbers that are being flying around are, are you know, specific to the province of BC, it's going to vary from, from province to province and, and actually municipalities uh, will have their own taxes in some cases. In Ontario, Toronto, the city of Toronto is actually double the amount of property transfer tax versus the rest of the province. So you get Ontario and you get dinged with Toronto and in Alberta, there is no transfer tax. So um, depending on where you're listening from, I know we have lots of listeners in Alberta, definitely check uh, your government site to, to kind of see what what would be charged to you. And there's a, we have a very helpful cal uh, calculator on our app our mobile app that will actually calculate those for you based on the province you're in. So um, definitely download that for, for assistance there. Yeah. Yeah. All good points there. So um, as far as, you know, first time buyers, I would say there's probably more items that we hear that are myths around that, but the PTT exemption is huge. Um, let's talk a little bit about, uh, you know, just kind of the myth of, of buying and closing costs and what that looks like just in general. So there's a lot of myths around the closing costs. I think we touched on this every different province. You should obviously double check and find out what your particular transfer taxes are and so forth. But in the meantime, um, there's some myths around it and, and some confusion, but there are some ways around this. So closing costs is a big one. What other closing costs would I have to pay besides this transfer tax? Obviously, that's the biggest one. Um, and can I roll that into the mortgage or what does that look like? So kind of a yes and no around that one. If you are purchasing a property uh, and it is yours to live in, again, let's say you're putting 5% down. So technically you don't actually roll the additional costs such as legal fees and expenses into the mortgage per se, but there are cash back programs that you can look at that some lenders qualify for you, can qualify you for. And how that works is they basically lump an extra amount of money back to you at the lawyer's office to cover some of the closing costs. It's important to keep in mind there's some rules and restrictions around that and some fees if you break that early. One of the notorious ones we hear about a lot is with CIBC and a couple of the big banks where, again, if you break in that next five years, not only will you pay a, a relatively large penalty, but you'll also have to pay back the entire cash back amount uh, as well, which so you got to keep your eyes 
open to that with some of these programs. Some are a little bit better than others. So, you know, just to kind of start off, you can roll the closing costs with some lenders if you qualify, but it is more of a cashback program. However, you cannot necessarily quote unquote, like I hear people say, hey, I've got a $60,000, $70,000 truck. And you know, what does that look like? Can I just add that to my mortgage? Technically speaking, no, because most of these cashback programs don't qualify for that kind of money. We're talking about one, two or 3% of the balance of the loan. If you're borrowing, you know, $500,000, that's 15 grand. It's meant more of like a small amount to, to help someone get across the line or, or consolidate maybe a small amount of debt. There's some creativity that can be had there. But generally speaking, outside of that, there's not really um, a lot more that you can close, not with conventional products anyways. And I mean, the closing costs that you can expect to pay just going into this, if you are a first time buyer, transfer tax, of course, province and, and municipality dependent uh, property transfer tax is definitely a big one if you're over the threshold. Uh, legal fees, we tell people it's like 15, 1600 bucks. You could pay two grand, you could pay 1200, get an exact quote from your lawyer. Um, outside of that, if you're buying with 20% down, there could be an appraisal, which are about $350. If you choose to do an inspection on a home, they're usually about 500 to 750, depending on the size and scope. Um, but for the most part, that's pretty much it. Uh, depending on your personal situation, sometimes there's a requirement to pay off debt to actually allow you to qualify for that mortgage. So if you're trying to budget and figure out how much money you're going to need, if we're telling you that you have to pay your credit card to zero before completion and it's at $4,000, like you have to account for that. You have to be able to come up with that money to pay your credit card down to zero before completion. Um, but that's not necessarily a closing cost. But yeah, just those are basically the items that you want to prepare for going into a purchase. And transfer tax in BC is hands down the biggest. It's dramatic. It can be very dramatic, especially with house prices. So you need to budget for that. We have a very helpful budgeting tool as part of our software when we pre-approve our clients that actually summarize all these numbers for you, which I find can be very, very helpful. And one thing that uh, that's talked about a lot is the home inspection is not a requirement of the lender. The bank will not make you do a home inspection. That is your choice. I would say it's highly recommended, but there are, you know, very handy, very experienced individuals uh, in families that uh, can assist you with this. Like, if you're, as an example, father is a home builder, might be a better pick to walk through that home for free than pay some other guy 500 bucks. So um, just so you know, that's not a requirement of the bank, but very recommended. Yeah, I mean, I'll touch on that point really quickly. There's <laughs> the whole, I don't think I want to make this about home inspections. But yeah, I mean, if you're if you're a home builder, you should be okay. And you should be hopefully knowing what you're looking for. But I've also seen that work against people too. in in situations where their uncle uh, has renovated a couple homes. I actually have a very, very, uh, is, there's probably someone listening to this that will know what I'm talking about, a situation where the realtor uh, highly recommended, very much so this uh, property do a home inspection. They opted to get it done by a quote unquote uncle. I've probably got a few of these stories and it ended up costing them the better part of 40 or $50,000 within two months because they didn't catch uh, some of the potential issues. Now, obviously that was in a balanced market when people could do home inspections, but we recommend it anyways. And to Dean's point, sure, you can cut corners and not do it. Or if you have like a very qualified individual, by all means, but I would still say don't cut the corners on a, you know, a half million or, or million dollar property in any case scenario. That being said, he makes a good point. It is a cheap uh, insurance policy to say the least, to actually pay somebody to do that inspection for you to your point. Yeah. Um, absolutely. I bought a property last year uh, and basically without conditions and of course uh, opted to do a home inspection. And I was very thankful for that, knowing what kind of upcoming repairs there would be. 
uh, as well on that property. But all good points. I mean, um, talking a little bit about, I guess, the last, uh, we got a lot of stuff we can talk about here. I realize this could go on forever, but a few other things just to think about here, and then we'll get into the what not to do's uh, to look out for. Uh, but, you know, credit, uh, I hear a lot of uh, confusion around and myths around credit scores, both in good and bad. Actually, funny enough, like one of the biggest trends that I've noticed in the last 12 to 18 months around um, first-time buyers, uh, not just first-time buyers, but most frequently, is that uh, a like Derek, Derek mentioned off the hop, or I think Dean, I don't know which one of you guys mentioned this is people don't reach out to to start the process early enough. They don't reach out to start the conversation. But b because of that, we're finding that people don't have enough credit quite frequently, and it's not just the credit score, but credit worthiness. What do we mean by that? It's one thing to have a cell phone in your name and to pay everything by cash, which a lot of people tend to do. It's another thing to prove that you can pay back your credit via multiple accounts, such as let's say a credit card or two and or a line of credit and a student loan or whatnot. So I'll be really clear, I'm not recommending someone go out and take on a bunch of debt, but I'm actually noticing these days people have low credit for two reasons. One, they don't take care of their credit. They're not paying it off on, on time, which has been very common. And two, and this is even more common with first-time buyers, they don't have enough credit. And that is limiting their qualification. So the easy way around that, based on what I see, is to make sure you have two credit lines and just pay them and use them monthly. Gas, groceries, whatever. Yeah, it's important to note that it's not just a credit score. It's actually a very detailed report. Um, no different than a resume to apply for a job. The banks are and us are looking through that report and actually reading it. So, you know, what the score is just one small line item on a report that could be four pages long. And there is a lot of very detailed information that uh, we're going to be looking at, not just missed payments, not just score, but, you know, how much how much of a limit does your credit card have? $500 credit card limit, it's not going to be enough. If that's your only product, it's just not going to be enough. And to your point, having two trade lines or, or credit lines, like you mentioned, is, is going to be key. And, and you know, there's slight, there's slight adjustments you can make to really uh, expedite credit repair or, or boosting your credit score. And, you know, we've seen many people have this $500 credit card that they got when they're 19. And, you know, fast forward two years or you know, 10 years later, in some cases, that's still all that they have. You can just call the bank and ask to increase that limit. And it's typically done over the phone, or in most cases, they're already pre-approved for that. And it's just a click of a button on their online banking. And those little adjustments could uh, could really help you. Yeah, I think just in short, you need to use your credit to get credit, to get good credit, right? Like you can't, a lot of people have the thought that if I don't use credit products, that's awesome because I can just live off my savings. Not the case. It's a report card of your credit history. It needs to look good. They need to know that you can manage multiple products at the same time. We actually see applications get declined with a good credit score, but the bank comes back and says, it's just too thin. That's the word that they use. The credit is too thin. There's not enough here to justify Good credit. Okay, other key things, uh, first up buyers getting the market, you know, what if I'm getting on a university and starting a new job? What does that look like? Okay, you know, like, uh, subjectively speaking, it depends on your personal circumstance. But obviously, it's pretty big. We see a lot of people that, you know, went to university, they're 23, 24, 25, 26, 27, whatever, however old you are, and then maybe don't have a strong uh, working history full time, it could have been part time before or casual or maybe not even worked. Uh, you know, employer does take that into consideration. Um, you know, whatever your role is, whether you're becoming a medical professional, which there are certain programs from, or a lawyer, or whatever, it doesn't really matter. If you went to school and, and you're working in your trade of choice at full time, 
uh, guaranteed hours. You could have started uh, two months ago and lenders will consider your income. I hear this quite frequently where people don't buy because uh, they walked in their bank and like, no, no, you have to have a year under this position. Like you don't have previous work experience. We've got tons of lenders who will consider your qualification. It just has to be a good story. It's all about the story and the people forget about that. Uh, the other thing to note on that, and this is just kind of a tangent on this point, is that I find a lot of people obviously in, in our world, the first thing they do, and if you're listening to this, you're doing this digitally, is they go online, they Google search mortgage rates, they apply for some online lender or something like that, and they get declined. And, and then they don't do anything for a year and then we get a referral and they tell us the story. Guys, if you're going uh, straight to a lot of the branches, you're dealing with people who are maybe not qualified and they're just basically looking at guidelines. If you're going online, it's the same thing. That's why they offer these certain uh, products and, and rates and so forth at lower cost because they're they're just basically just piling in the easy stuff, quick, and, quick in, quick out. So if you're a first time buyer and you think you have a unique scenario, you should just talk to a professional. There's a reason that we're around. There's a reason you go to a doctor uh, to get answers and not just Googling it, right? So. Definitely reach out if you're maybe on those situations. Uh, not to beat down credit and going backwards here, but there's a lot of things that are that are going to vary on our, our credit report. So the credit report that a broker or bank pulls versus your personal credit report and the score being one of them, um, those scores will differentiate. So don't be alarmed when your score is different on our end. And uh, also, we'll, there's a lot of times we'll notice accounts that you thought you closed and and are still showing as an active account on the report. And some of these issues that come up on credit reports literally can take up to six months to rectify. And, and just around preparation, that's exactly why um, we're recommending doing this as soon as possible, whether you're buying in a year or two years or what have you. Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. So a couple uh, quick things here to consider. So we talked a little bit about the property transfer tax exemption. A little bit about down down payments if you're a first time buyer, a second time buyer, being able to take care of that. You know, we didn't really talk a lot about the uh, the government's matching first time home buyer incentive, and I really don't want to go too deep into that because that program, for all we know, could be axed in the next you know uh, 12 to 18 months. And to be really blunt, that's probably been the biggest fail as far as a down payment program or first time buyer incentive that I've seen in the better part of uh, well, as far as long as I've been in the industry, I've never seen a program. Uh, for first-time buyers or whatever, that's just been such a quote-unquote fail. I think what we'll do is maybe we'll table that. We'll have a separate episode. We'll have somebody come in and we'll talk about what that program is and why uh, we think it's a fail and, and so forth. If you're interested in it, of course, you can reach out. We'll give you the terms and conditions. We can talk a little bit about it. Basically, it's a matching incentive program. If you put down X amount, 5% or 10%, assuming you qualify based on your incomes and the property dollar and the mortgage amount, uh, the government will match your down payment up to uh, 5 or 10% depending on new or resale property. This doesn't allow you to qualify for more. It just reduces your mortgage amount. Given the fact that most of our clients are located in BC, uh, Alberta, um, and Ontario, a lot of them obviously are in major city centers, most people just simply A, don't qualify for it, or B, see a lot of the value in it after looking at obviously all the terms and conditions. Um, that being said, again, I think we'll, we'll table that overall uh, uh, conversation because I feel like that's a 30 minute conversation on that program on its own. Uh, but if it's something you wanna look into, you can reach out and we can explain it to you. But I, I just think it's a failed program from start to finish. Uh, last couple things here, guys, what not to do, you're a first time buyer, you're a realtor, you're, you're talking to your clients. Number one, biggest surprises, don't take on a darn car loan before you buy your house. Uh, do whatever you got to do before you get the car loan. Um, I, I can't even tell you how many people, we talked about this last episode, I think about people buying car loans with uh, truck payments at like $1,000 or $1,200 and, and they can't qualify for a house. Don't get the truck first. 
get the truck right after you get the keys for all we care. The truck, the, the, the car loan company will give you a loan if you have a home, no problem, but vice versa, doesn't work. For every 350 to 400 bucks, you're talking about losing 100 grand in mortgage qualification. That is huge, that is massive. Um, even if your car loan is only $3,000, you're probably better to pay that off, but talk to us first. Um, we talked about taking care of your credit, that was massive. Uh, stable income is, is huge too, guys. Just a quick little reminder here, uh, we do want to see if you're relatively new in your position as a first-time buyer. Lenders are looking for uh, guaranteed income if you've started in the last 12 months and you're putting down 5% typically. Uh, although if you have commissioned or, or variable income sources or overtime, as long as you have a 12, or sorry, a 24-month average or a two-year history, lenders will consider that. Um, we've done previous episodes on self-employed people, so I mean, I think we don't need to get too far into that, but the same rules apply there. Yeah, I think just last thing I'll throw in on this episode is uh, we get people all the time that, that will have a conversation. They're like, I'm going to wait. I'm not going to do my application because I'm working on paying off my credit card or I'm getting a raise in a month and I'm going to wait until then. You don't need to wait for that kind of stuff. We can manipulate and adjust applications and we can say, okay, well, based on your current salary, and if you paid off this debt, you qualify for X. If we wait until you're raised and you pay off these two debts, you qualify for X. So we can start that planning right away, right? So don't feel like you need to wait until you think you're in the perfect position to apply. Apply sooner, get your ducks in a row. There's oftentimes things that everyone needs to work on in regards to cleaning up income or paying off a debt or saving up a little bit more. And the sooner we have that conversation, uh, the sooner you know exactly what you need to do to make it happen. Yeah, hopefully through all this, you know, listening in, whether again, you're first time, second time buyer, real estate agent in the industry, uh, you know, some key takeaways is don't assume anything. Uh, there's a lot of myths in this space. Uh, lending programs and guidelines change monthly, weekly. It's so funny because people think that we just sit behind a computer. I mean, I guess we do sit behind a computer most of the day, but uh, people think all we do is type in calculators all day long and nothing really changes. Couldn't be more incorrect. Lending guidelines change on a weekly basis. Like it's that uh, common. And we run constant training programs and learning programs to make sure we're up to date on all this kind of stuff so we can deliver these podcasts. Heck, we gotta know our shit to be able to talk about it, right? Um, so whether you're a first time buyer and you're not really sure, uh, whether you're a partner in the industry and you want to find out more about how to support clients, uh, send them this episode or reach out to us directly in the feedback channel, thrivemortgage.ca. Find us on Spotify, iTunes, give us that five-star review and then hit us up on Instagram at Thrive Mortgage Co., uh, where you can find the partner's individual accounts, check us out and let us know if you're loving the show. Thanks so much guys for listening. We'll see you on the next one.